If you're anything like me, you're probably deep in planning for 2023, and you know that 2023 is going to be a different kind of year with this recession looming. And that's why when I saw V, Vivek Chakraborty, speak at a conference that I recently emceed, uh, Jesse Lane's conference, I knew that I had to bring him on this show to talk about his thoughts around a wartime strategy. How do you plan for business strategy when things are not in this like pumping growth economy thing that we've been in for the past 14 years, right? Like I, I feel like I've, I need a, I need to re-up my muscle memory with that stuff. I think we, we blinked and saw a little bit during COVID, um, but then the economy came roaring back. Uh, so I think this is more important than ever. This idea that we're going to go into a recession, it's probably going to last like nine months to two years or something like that. It's probably going to be a, a, a real recession if you think about what's happening and how you have to adjust your business strategy as a result is more important than ever. And you're going to love this conversation that we had with V because it's real clear of what you need to do to get yourself and get your team prepared. And it was so good that we invited him back for another session that's coming up uh, actually today. If you're if you're listening, actually not today, it's this week. Uh, the next show that we're doing live is going to be with V. So this one was a live internet talk show that was hosted two weeks ago. If you're if you're listening on the day of um, of publishing, and we publish the podcast afterwards two weeks later, um, but it's all done in a live internet talk show, right? It's a way so that if you're a fan of the show, if you're a fan of these conversations, if just the person that is speaking is somebody that you want to meet and talk to and get some real context for your situation, you can join us live. And that serves as our go-to-market you know, way of creating community and creating all the content that we need for our business here at Be The Stage. So I hope that if you like this one, you're listening to it the week that it comes out, you join us on Monday for V's uh, second draft, which you see we tease here during this actual show because it was so good. But for right now, man, you're in for a, you're in for a, an enlightening session here with uh, Vivek Chakraborty. Enjoy. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome, everybody. We're officially live on Facebook for the B2B Community Builder Show, episode 203, building a wartime strategic plan for 2023. I'm your host and chief executive connector. Pablo Gonzalez. And with me today is a guest that I am super, super pumped to have on because I saw him speak at a conference and I was like, I need this guy's advice. And what better way to do that than to share it with the community here? Vivek Chakraborty is a 
goes by the name V, which is what I'm going to do from now on to help myself moving forward. But he has advised Fortune 500 companies, household name companies that you have heard of for the majority of his career. He's one of these like awesome data points of people moving from these like high tech states with really incredible companies to Jacksonville. And as a result, I get access to him and I'm super pumped up about it as a strategic advisor for big, big brands put forth at Jesse Lane's business conference, a really well thought out, very good presentation on how to approach your strategic planning for 2023, because we are in a wartime economy. Can't wait to get into it. V, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to sharing whatever I can share with your audience and, you know, enjoying this experience here. Awesome, man. Awesome. 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 I am looking forward for you to sharing and blowing people's minds like you did mine. As you all know, this is a live internet talk show. The reason why we do this is because this allows you to be part of the show, ask me your own questions, get your own context into this thing. So make sure that you're checking in with me in the chat. Use the Q&A if you want some questions asked. And I want to welcome our community to the house. We got Pratiti Pathak saying, what up, people? What's up, Pratiti? Pratiti is a time creation coach. She's also a real estate professional. Good, good friend of mine. Lori Goldman, our in-house super connector. She is a community expert in the SaaS world. Also, big time connector has introduced me to great people. Christine Paso, who is, you know, gobbling up expertise in corporate culture and how it relates to revenue. And she's building out a new path for herself. Christine, welcome back. Lee Bishop, he's the local troublemaker around here. If you're getting a DM from Lee, you're going to see the corners of people's mouths go up because he's probably joking around with somebody. Lee, good to have you back. We got Kirsten Franklin in the house. Kirsten, good to have you. I don't know. Is this the first time you're on the show, Kirsten? Good to good, good to see you here. Happy to have you. And we're just going to kick right into the meat of the question, V. You know, like why I... Oh, Sylvia Steinle. Sylvia works for a marketing co- uh, localization company, helping people go international. Uh, Sylvia, great to have you here. Super pumped to see your name here. V. No more, yes. no more ado. I love, I love the roll call. I like to get carried away with it. I like to introduce the community. But man, what I'm, what I really, what I really want to ask you about is, I think as an entrepreneur or as any kind of business leader, December is strategic planning, right? Like you are mm-hmm. working on your plan for 2023. I think that that's very normal to me. But what strikes me as particularly interesting in the way that you talk about it is that it shouldn't be business as usual this December because we're headed into more of a wartime kind of scenario. Can you tell me why it's not business as usual? Sure, sure. If anybody is following the news and looking at the trends, there are three main things that I'm looking at that lead me to believe 2023 is going to be slightly different. Right. Um, the first one is just geopolitical tensions. You've got Russia, Ukraine. There was a lot of chatter about how this would be quick, and there was a lot of pressure brought to bear on Russia. It's not going away. And it is leading into more tension in Europe. The other one that I'm keeping an eye on is China, Taiwan, and the tension out in Asia surrounding that. And it's slowly growing. You're seeing other countries get involved either from a mediation standpoint or a chatter, right? Whether it's Australia or India and the neighboring countries there. So geopolitically, we're heading into some headwinds in 2023. Direct correlation to that is what that means to businesses. In Europe, you're starting to see severe planning around the energy crisis going into the winter. In Asia, you're starting to see big companies doing a lot of planning around supply chain disruptions, should there be any sort of conflict, you know, active conflict between China and Taiwan and what that would mean to the global chip market, for example. That's what you're seeing in the headlines. And then you combine that with all the news you're seeing about this sort of global economic recession, right? Companies have already started layoffs in the US. It's making news almost every other day. You're seeing layoffs. You're seeing talk about preserving cash and liquidity. Those are usually leading indicators of companies getting ready for what you described and what I talk about as wartime strategy. So those those three things are happening, and they're happening all simultaneously, and they're gathering strength. That leads me to believe that 
you can't approach 2023 in the same manner that you would 2022 in a boom time. We've had a pretty good decade, I would say, since the crash of 2008. The markets picked up steam. You had artificial interest rates, which allowed easy flow of credit, cash. Companies could take risks that they ordinarily wouldn't take. They could expand their business and and have that leverage. That's not going to be the case going forward as much as it was. And so if you're an entrepreneur and you're saying, well, what does this have to do with me? Why is this important? There are three things I want to share with you. It's going to create uncertainty. And when uncertainty is created, spending goes down in general. Competition becomes ruthless, right? So if you're turning around and going, ah, no worries, your competitors are not. Be assured of that. And third, customers start to get more selective when there is uncertainty. So if you combine those three with spending going down, competitors becoming more ruthless, and customers becoming more selective, it's no longer business as usual. Does that lead in to why we need a wartime strategy, Pablo? <laughs> I'd say you nailed it, man. I, you know, you when you start when you start with like the the geopolitical stuff, I'm like, okay, yeah, I could see this if I was a bigger deal. And then you start leaning into the the economy and and uncertainty. I'm like, oh, okay, and like credit tightening up. And as somebody that is right now just recently secured a line of credit in order to release some operating capital to invest into my go-to-market and some of my mm-hmm. marketing functions. I'm like, okay, okay, I could see it. But I think the last three things you said are are really universal, right? Competition's yeah. going up. People are not going to spend as much and, and it's going to get ruthless out there, right? We've been, since the big turndown, we've been in this like time of abundance, right? Like 2009 to 2011, we were figuring it out. But ever since then, it's felt very abundant. And I yep. think that it's, you know, money is cheap. People are spending, you know, recklessly to, to, to a large extent. And it almost feels like anybody could start a business or or succeed in business. And this is, it's been a decade, right? So like the, the kind of like the reps that we've had at mm-hmm. operating on like that other capacity of this other environment, it's almost like being in a completely foreign environment. So I, I totally get it, which is again, why your message really resounded with me, man. So I, I think you nailed that, man. Thanks. So then we understand now it can't be business as usual, right? For me, business as usual is, all right, look at last year's business plan, update some projections, uh, mm-hmm. maybe think about how my products have evolved and how I want to update my website and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm just getting, I'm getting generally overwhelmed with, you know, how do I, how do I really think about this strategy moving forward in this, in this wartime kind of like moment? Can you walk us through kind of what are, what would be the, what would you advise me to my first steps on when I'm sitting down and I'm looking at last year's kind of like numbers and, and business plan? What, where, where should I go first if I'm really starting to get strategic about strategy? Sure. Sure. And, and, you know, it was funny. I was preparing for our podcast today and I'm like, let me go see what's out there. You just type in business strategy in Google and look at what pops up. There are templates and things. There was one 13, 13, what's it, sections to a strategic plan. And I'm going, who has time for this? Who actually sits down and thinks about 13 sections? Who has time to read books and all of this stuff? So I like to take a very simplified approach. And that's what I'd like to share with the audience today. Through my experience and, and my, doing it for my own company, I focus on five questions, and that's the five questions I want to bring to the audience here. And and let me set the stage for what the five questions are, right? The definition I like of strategy is you as an entrepreneur and your business are delivering a unique mix of value to your customer by making deliberate choices on what it is you offer and what it is you don't offer and setting yourself apart from your customers in the way you offer those things, right? So that's the baseline, unique mix of value, deliberate choices on what you offer and doing it in a way that sets you apart from your competition. So let me break that down into the five questions. The first one, yeah, 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 yeah. What I hear 
in all three of those unique value, what you offer and what you don't offer and what sets you apart is largely differentiation. Mm-hmm. And and in a world where I, I you know I don't know how how familiar you are with category design and and the book play bigger that I have over my over my left shoulder, but it's it's very much about you know instead of competing in somebody else's category, how do you create your own? It's creation over competition. So I I really believe in this, and I find that on a personal level throughout 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 my life, I've seen that different is much easier to to sell than mm-hmm. than better or worse right so like i just i wanted to call out this this idea that differentiation really permeates through this idea of like what is the unique value like what's different what you are and what you aren't being you know just as important as like and 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 but not this right and what was the last piece the so the last piece is doing it differently right it's, it's different? how how you do it and and i'll make i'll use a very very simple analogy that everybody should be familiar with. Everyone has a perfect, their favorite restaurant. You, I have my favorite restaurant. I love going there. And I go there because it meets certain criteria. There are tons of restaurants in the area, but I go to this restaurant whenever I get a chance. It's because they know me by name. The ambiance is set where I walk in. I feel like somewhat of a star, like, hey, V, welcome. Come on. I bought your seat here. The chef, cooks the exact same thing, the exact same way every single time. So I know I'm guaranteed my favorite dish tasting exactly the way I want it, right? And I have people now that come to the same restaurant. So I have my buddies there. So I, it's it's an ambiance, it's a regularity, it's consistency. That's what my favorite restaurant means to me, right? The moment that restaurant stops doing that, what differentiates it? And so from the customer's perspective, your strategy is what sets you apart. It's why they're going to come to you over any other restaurant. Even if the other restaurant in your neighborhood is cheaper, right? You'll go to your favorite restaurant because it goes beyond cost. There's emotion. And so strategy is about creating that differentiation and creating an emotional connection with your customer. Hence the unique value of a unique mix of value and doing it in a way that separates you from your competitors. Love that, man. Okay, cool. So it is as much what you offer as much as the experience that you provide yes. both play into the benefits that someone comes to you. And it's key to understand why that's different from other people is what I mean. Correct. Correct. Exactly right. And if you do that in the right way, you create a completely new, you actually are not so much concerned of the fact that the market is in recession. You're attracting the right kind of customer that's coming to you because you offer an absolutely unique situation for them. And actually, and what I have seen in my experience of doing this is when companies use their strategy to narrow in on exactly who they are, what they do, different from the customers, it ends up growing them even if everything around them is contracting, right? And I saw, you know, usually with my experience, you mentioned I work with Fortune 500 companies. People say, well, what does this mean for me? I have a restaurant, I have a small company. And during the pandemic, so I lived in Redmond, Washington. I moved to Florida during the pandemic. My favorite restaurant in Redmond, they hit hard times as all restaurants did, but especially in some states where they locked everything down, right? And a restaurant without foot traffic is doomed if it's a dine-in type of place. The owner of the restaurant did something spectacular. He took this exact approach and converted into his menu down to a one-page menu of eight items. He found out exactly what the eight most popular items were on his menu that customers were missing. Okay, Then he figured out a way to provide that in a takeout mode. So he would cook it in such a way that you could come to the restaurant, pick it up, go home, put it in the oven, right? And then he had all this wine sitting that was just wasting away. So he had wine deals. You could come and buy wine. So why go to Costco or any other wine store, come to your favorite restaurant where you used to sip your favorite wine and buy it with your favorite meal and take it home. And he reduced his hours so that he could get rid of his inventory. People would put orders. 
not only did he survive the pandemic, but when the restaurants opened up in, in Redmond, Washington, he has been full almost every night since because neighbors of people who love the restaurant were going, hey, where are you getting this wonderful meal? And they're like, oh, you should check out this restaurant. So he actually grew his customer base during the pandemic while being shut down. Think about that. I love that as a wartime story. And I love how it 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 highlights what you just said, right? The unique value that that restaurant had to offer was everybody's favorite meals from the restaurant. What they offer and what they don't, they cut out the things that weren't yep. their favorite. And what made them different is we're not just a restaurant. We're also your favorite wine store, right? So you can come and kill two birds yep. with one stone. And, and I love that, man. I love All right, cool. So I'm in. Let's talk about the five questions, man. Okay. So the first question is, what is our winning aspiration? And what do I mean by this? Yeah, and, and I mentioned this in the business conference that I did. When you ask entrepreneurs this, usually the, the gut answer is, oh, to be rich, of course, to be number one. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting a little more deeper than that. What is the reason for your being? What is the purpose of this organization? Why does it exist, right? And another way to think about that is, if it didn't exist, who would miss it? And what would they miss? Mm. Right. So you put yourself in the customer's shoes and you say, if I'm not here today, are they going to miss me? Why? And that comes from a place of what is it that you believe in and that's driving you that is creating that emotional connection with that customer. Got it. Now the answer changes. Yeah. It, it gets you thinking because you start to tie your reason for being with your core values and not with the external world. So you're not, you don't have your business because credit is cheap. And so you decided to start it. You started your business. One of the core values of the Covey Group is freedom. It is our number one core value, right? And so everything we do comes out of the fact that we believe in freedom of the individual and freedom of leaders and companies to make decisions that change the way they do things for their customers. And so we're not beholden to a certain methodology. We're not beholden to a certain software. We're not beholden to shareholders or venture capitalists. We are free to give objective advice that permeates the entire being of Covey Group. And our customers love us for that. So that's where you, if you can answer question one, which is what is your winning aspiration by diving into your reason for being, what would customers miss if you weren't there? Would they even miss you? And what, what do you believe in that's driving that vision? You actually come out with two deliverables. One is your mission statement. And the second is your core values, your set of core values. And that's crucial to building a strategy. Without those two, you don't really have a strategy. You just have a set of tactics is the best way I can put it. Got it, man. Got it. I was going to ask you what the difference is between that and mission. But what you're saying is that your winning aspiration and what the world would miss if you're not around is what's going to lead you to understanding what your mission would be um, mm -hmm. and and your core values, right? So I guess if I was to, I've been working real hard at mine, right? Like I, I try to think of it as like, what's the problem that I solve, which is which is the way that I've that I've asked that. But I like that, I like that way of of thinking. And as I continue down this path, and we you know evangelize our mission and vision, it's it's this idea of companies being able to prioritize relationships over transactions, right? So like. Mm -hmm. The idea that if we are not, if we're not around, then, you know, nobody's going to be there to say there is better ways to sale that are not a nuisance. There's better ways to market that aren't just like pestering people. And the way that you do it is by figuring out processes and technologies that you can combine to add value to people at scale so that it makes a sale more like enrolling into something as opposed to being sold. Right. So am I thinking about that correctly? I would say even take it up one more level. What What's your reason for being? If you have to put it in a sentence, right? So I'll give you what Covey Groups is. It's actually on my wall. It sits in front of me every day because we, you know, you have to live your, your strategy and your mission. And ours is our mission is to help leaders 
make positive and sustainable change in their organization. That's mm-hmm. it. That's our mission. And we define leaders as people with courage who are willing to take a chance and take a stand and do something different against the norm. That's how we define leaders. So our purpose for being is to help those people, not the company. So when I when we use clients in the frame of Covey Group, we never talk about companies. We talk about individuals. And so our clients are those individual leaders who are looking to make a change. They're tired with the status quo. They don't want to follow the traditional route. And they say, I need a partner. I need a confidant who is going to help me be creative, be original, be brave. That's us. So that's our mission. We want to be there to support them, right? So we're not the ones trying to make change in the world. We want to help the ones who want to make change in the world. Mm, That's our mission. So that reframe allows me to think of it as more of like enable marketing and sales leaders that want to treat people as relationships and not just a lead number, not just a conversion metric that what they're trying to do is play the infinite game with folks, understanding that community is, is what they need and enable that, right? That's, that's the reframe. Yeah. And and the reframe is sitting. So what would the customer say about you based if I asked them that question? So if I went to your customer and said, what is Pablo's winning aspiration? Would they give you the same answer that you just gave? I don't know. I got to ask that question. Should ask. That's exactly Uh, where this comes from. That's that's where the emotional connection comes in. Right. And it's funny because a lot of business leaders will not ask their customers that. And I find that very interesting. That is interesting. I love it. I'm definitely going straight to my client base and saying, ah, Pratiti wanted oh, me to ask to you to repeat, repeat that. that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just saw it pop up. I'm like, okay. So go ask your customers what they would answer if you went and said, hey, tell me what you think my winning aspiration is. Why do you think my company exists? And let them answer it. Don't give them any context. Leave them with the open question and see what they tell you. That will give you clear insight as to whether they, from their perception, you're living your mission or not. Because it doesn't matter what you say your mission is. It's what it's perceived as, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> it doesn't matter what your mission is. It's what is it perceived as? I love what it. you I say. Love it. It's what you could say whatever you want. And companies yeah. do that, right? You go on their website, you go on any massive company and you go and you look up their mission and they'll say, we exist to provide the best customer service. And if you're a customer of this and you're going, oh my God, their customer service is horrible. Who cares what they put on their website? The customer perception is what their mission actually is. So strategy is about putting yourself in that view, looking back and going, is my customer receiving the message I'm sending in the way I'm trying to send it or not? Which leads to question number two. Where will you choose to play? And what I mean by this is, who is your audience, right? It is amazing how many business owners don't actually know who their ideal customer is. In the case of the restaurant I told you about, and by the way, it's a real restaurant, you know, it's called, I'll tell you at the end, it's called Prime in Redmond, Washington. So if you're ever in Redmond, go to Prime. It It's amazing. But that's what, the owner of Prime did, right? He he understood who his customer really is. And it comes into four categories. First is what's called geographic. Where do these customers live? Are they urban, suburban, rural, right? Are they global? If you have a certain type of business, like you're talking to people all over the web and they can be anywhere. So you have to understand geographically where your customers are. Second is demographic. Who are they? Who is this individual that is seeking out what it is you have to offer that mission to? Third is behavioral. How do they want to be interacted with? And then the fourth is what's called psychographic, which is a fancy way of saying, why do they want to be interacted with that way, right? So that's essentially the four ways. And you can dissect this in many different ways, but it boils down to who are you trying to sell to? Who is that ideal customer? Why are they buying from you? 
and how do they want you to interact with them? Got it. Got it. So figure out our winning aspiration. I assume that this is go straight to clients, you know, like you, you gave the the, the best mm-hmm. hack, right? Like go to your clients, ask them what they think of is your winning yeah. aspiration. That should reflect your mission and your core values. Then it becomes once you know who you what your unique kind of like value is, right? I, I would say that that's that your mission. Once you know what your, your mission. mission is, yeah. Yeah. Once you know your mission, then it's who is your customer really, right? Like where are you going to choose mm-hmm. to play based on where they are, who they are, right? Like as far as like data so, so, that you would get yeah. from a census, right? Yes. Kind of stuff. Okay. And then you start getting more into like wants and needs, right? Like how do they want to be interacted with? Do they want to be mailed things? Do they want to be called? Do they want to be right? Like I tell people LinkedIn is my love language, right? Like if you're, if you're, if you're on LinkedIn, I like interacting on LinkedIn. And I also tell people video text Mm -hmm. or voice notes are my love language, right? Like basically I have ADD, so I can't read. So whatever you send me that I can listen to or watch or something like that is best for me. And I'm going to throw away 100% of mail and psychographic. Why do they want to be interacted that way? Cause I'm a busy guy. Cause I don't like you wasting paper. And because, you know, like, um, I, I, I like to be on LinkedIn interacting with people. Right. So like, that would be me as a as a client. A little harder when you have to do it for somebody else. Is there a is this again? You go to your clients and ask them this stuff, or is there another way to like understand this data outside of gathering your team together? I think there's no better way to understand this than speaking with your client because it also tell if it's like for me, I do this regularly. I will sit with my customers and say, "Why do you keep coming back to Covey Group?" What are we giving you that you can't get from any other consulting firm on earth? Especially if they sit in a large company, right? Why, why did you pick us? You had all these choices and they're telling me why they picked us, right? Is it, is it easy access to Covey Group? Is it the people that I hire that make the difference because they, they are different from what the other consulting firms offer? What is it about those are our employees that's different do we give them a better experience from a consulting perspective i ask them these questions because that gives me insight into what what you'll see is you'll see a trend if more and more of your customers you talk to start giving you the same answers you now start to understand that you've got a brand and it's driven by a very consistent strategy got it and i guess that the reverse also holds true in the sense that I don't know if this happens to you, but as a consulting company, as I'm, as I'm growing, right? Like my, my first client, who's my biggest case study for a long time, when I would ask him why he, why he picked me, it was like, well, I knew that you would care more. I know that you're going to dedicate yourself more to this because I was your big fish in a small pond. And as it, it starts becoming a bigger and bigger pond, if that's my unique value proposition to him, right? Like if that's why they are coming to me, then I need to either change how I think I can grow in order to continue to provide that or change my strategy slash business model in order to provide some other kind of value that is equally pumped up about because I'm not going to be able to do that when I have 20 clients and, and I can when I have five, right? Yep. So, so you'll have to replicate yourself. Or replicate myself. Right. But that is how you build a sustainable business. So you led us directly into question number three. How will you win against your competitors? And what you're saying is, in order for me to grow and provide this exact same value proposition, which is that winning aspiration to my customer, I've I've defined the ideal customer. They want this personal experience. They don't want to be a number. They want to be able to treat be treated a certain way, right? Now, if I can replicate that, not replicate you, but replicate that feeling, I can get more ideal customers, right? So in question number three, how will we win against our customers? What you're really doing is defining what's important to your customer, how where do you stand in each of those categories and where do your competitors stand mm-hmm. and you're saying in these areas i have the biggest advantage in some areas the competitors can be better than you so for example i'm a small consulting firm if you're in the management consulting world you know there are some giant firms 
PricewaterhouseCoopers, KPMG, ENY, they have global offices, armies of MBAs, strategic consultants, right? Yeah. How do I how do I beat them? On the surface, you'd be like, I should not even go into consulting because there's no way I should be able to beat them. But yet, Covey Group has continued to grow for nine years straight. And it's because when I look at what my ideal customer wants, I do certain things better than the big four. And we've continued to only focus on those and disregard all the others. So for example, I don't have a fancy office. You're looking at Covey Group headquarters, right? Because my ideal customer doesn't give a crap whether I have a massive building in Times Square with my logo on it and mahogany furniture. They don't care. So I am not going to have an office building because it is not a differentiator. Got it. Right. And so you start to focus in on where you are able to separate yourself in a positive way from your competitors. And that defines your value proposition. That right there, to be able to say that, and I gave the example in the business conference about Walmart. And if you look at Walmart's tagline, right? Lower pr- lowest prices every day, all the time. It's because those are the three things that there is no company on earth that could beat Walmart at. Oof, that was a golden nugget right there. I'm gonna have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in, connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Hit five-star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. Yeah. Got it. So I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm going through the exercise right now. And I would love to hear from, I'd love to hear from our community, right? Like I know that, I know that like Pete and Sylvia and Kirsten all have like established businesses. Cause when I think about this, I, and so let me know in the chat, as you're thinking about this, what is it that you know, why, why do you win versus your customer? Cause when I'm thinking about it, the first place my, my head goes is product, right? Like I, I first go to this idea that if I'm lumped into other marketing agencies, most marketing agencies will essentially come and sit down and tell you what they think, you know, like figure out, try to figure out who you are by taking your time, then tell you what they think, then build a whole bunch of infrastructure around that. And then give you a whole bunch of homework to fill it, fill that infrastructure while we take a differentiated approach of like interviewing you to create content while we're figuring out who you are, interviewing your clients to create content while we're figuring out who you are, then tell you who you are based on what we've heard other people say, not just us, then create an infrastructure to distribute the content that's already been made based Mm -hmm. on what we heard. So I I think product there, but that's just product. I imagine that there's got to be other things that I got to think about. Your value proposition is not your product. You just told me what your value proposition is. It's service. It's the experience that you give your customers. Mm. Okay. And and the way I would differentiate is think about Apple. Apple is product. You expect something. When you buy a Tesla, that's product, right? But you go, you go, I think I saw some people put in Nordstrom in, in the chat. The Ritz Carlton is an example I always use. If you've ever stayed at a Ritz Carlton, you will never forget it. It is a one-of-a-kind experience from the moment you walk in the door till the moment you leave. And their product is just a hotel room, no different than Marriott, which they are under the umbrella of, or Hilton or anybody else. But they're not competing on the room. They're competing on experience, and that is their value proposition. People will pay hundreds of dollars a night for a room because they don't. it's not the product that they're paying for. They're paying hundreds of dollars a night for the experience of having a room at the Ritz-Carlton versus just a room. And, and other customers don't care about the experience. They just want a room yeah. and they will pay a different price point for that. So you might both have the same product, but you're not competing on product. You're competing on experience. And that's the advantage you have 
over your competitors. Got it. So then if I was to speak based on experience, it's, you know, less time in meetings, more time in interacting with your clients as well, as opposed to in a boardroom with a marketing person and then less homework at the end of it. That's mm-hmm. already done for you on the way in. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. How does the, I, I, I want to get into, I feel like we're already, we, we got like 20 more minutes left on this thing. I, I want to get into the other questions. So I'm going to Okay. Okay. Question four, question yeah. four, right? What are the capabilities you need in place to deliver that value proposition? So for one, one of the differentiators at Covey Group is our consultants. We have on average people with 10 to 15 years of hands-on risk management, business continuity experience. You on, on and, and that's with a very small team. So if you think of the concentration of that experience, it's unique. We don't put people in front of our clients who just graduated from school, which you will get with some of the bigger consulting firms, which means the client knows that they're learning on the client's dime. You don't get that at Covey Group. They're basically giving you back experience that they've got hands-on. Mm-hmm. So now I have to think about what capabilities do I need in place to ensure I have those people. Got it. And and so, so that means for you, for you, it's like a talent acquisition flywheel, ability to compensate those people that are not just beginners. Yes. You know, yes. The, the stuff that is that type of stuff, right? Being a talent. Yeah. So, so I have to do, so when you think about capabilities, you're now doing for your business in question four, the same thing you did for your customers in questions one and two. You're going to your employees and saying, why do you work here? What is it that you have that makes this so special that we're able to then deliver this value proposition to the client? So you now, as the entrepreneur, are sitting in the middle of these two pieces and you're saying, tell me, how do I continue to make this as amazing for you so you can be as motivated to deliver what the customer wants to receive? Got it. This is genius, man. All right. I'm going to let you go on to question five. because Okay. I'm still and question five. And question five is, what systems do I need to support those capabilities? So if the capability that I need is a certain incentive structure or the ability to work remotely, one of the biggest draws for Covey Group is we have no offices. Everybody works from home. Yeah, We have no set hours. People make their own schedules based on the project work that they have. We have no hierarchy. So there's no managers at Covey Group. There are no titles. We're just one flat organization. In order for that type of structure to work consistently day in, day out, mm-hmm. I need to have certain capabilities. For those capabilities to exist, I have to have certain systems. For example, I have to be able to enable an entire remote workforce. I have to have information privacy and security rules in place. I have to provide them with the means to be able to do all the work they do with the knowledge management, knowledge sharing capabilities virtually, right? So my internal business systems have to be aligned. In order for my team to be motivated, my incentive and comp structure has to be aligned with that. A traditional comp structure does not work. So that's the way you flow. And if you can answer those five questions, you have a strategy. If those five questions tie together, you actually will create value for your clients, which will have them coming back. You know what I like about this framework, man? This idea of, you know, what is your winning aspiration? Like understanding what your clients see as the reason why, you know, why you exist for them, where you choose to play, meaning really, really get to know them and, you know, who they are and and what they want essentially and how Mm -hmm. they want to get it. How will you win against your customer being, what do you need to fulfill the needs of the people that you're trying to serve? What capabilities you need to deliver that experience? Meaning, how will you fill the needs of the people that you need to serve those folks? And what yep. systems you need to support them? How do you put them in the right seat of the right bus? Yep. It's all, I don't know how to best put this, but it's all extrinsic, right? Like I, I like to say that to get whatever you need, you need to find a way to serve the people that hold the keys to the doors that you're trying to open. And and I find that this is one giant exercise in that. It's like really understanding who you serve, what it is that you're doing for them, and how you can get other people to enlist them to serve them as well as possible. It's very like, 
it's very based on the client as opposed to you. Yeah, it's introspective, right? So yeah. it's it's introspective. What I love about this approach is it takes you and me as the entrepreneurs out of the equation. Yeah. It takes you and your ego and your identity completely out of the equation. It doesn't matter who you think you are. You could walk on water in your own mind. Who gives, you know, if yeah. your employees don't think you walk on water and your customers don't think on you walk on water, you don't walk on water. And so you're basically saying, it's not about me. Don't worry about me. Tell me why you come to Covey Group or you come to my business. Tell me why you are so motivated to work at Covey Group for these set of clients. And you basically come out of the way and answer these five questions. You will grow. And the reason I like that is it takes away all the distractions. It takes away all the distractions and it allows you to focus in. And I had a call with my team last week. It was our monthly call. And I said, and I framed it this way, and I want to share this with your audience because I know we're running out of time. I think it might be a valuable insight. I like to call it the abundance mindset because I started this call with we're going into wartime uncertainty. 2023 is going to be different. Things, you know, cash is drying up, credit is drying up customers going to spend less, that sort of thing. The automatic human reaction to that emotional response is a scarcity mindset, right? People automatic, and you're seeing that now in the, in the marketplace, you're seeing that companies are going to a zero sum game, which means they're going to be chasing dollars wherever they can make money. Let's go, let's, get, let's close the sale. Let's close the sale. We need to have more sales or they go down to cheapest price. Let's cut our costs. Let's cut our price. Let's cut our price. We need to bring in more customers. The second thing you'll see when you see a scarcity mindset, these are the sort of indicators I use. You'll see herd mentality. You'll see talk about benchmarking. What is everybody else doing? Let's not stand apart. If we're in the herd, we'll be protected. And you start to see a uniformity, okay? The third thing you'll see is risk aversion. Everybody starts thinking smaller. Okay, okay, don't try, don't make, don't take any chances, don't do this, avoid risks, don't spend money, right? So you start to see risk aversion, herd mentality, zero sum game. And then the last one, which I find the saddest one of all, is the loss of identity. People start being driven by a a sense of self worth that is tied to, comparison with others. What is that person making? Why am I not making that? Why is that person getting promoted? Why am I not getting promoted? And the default there, the default is suspicion and lack of trust. Okay. But what you end up with is isolation as an individual, but your business starts to suffer because think of what I just said, you're working off of zero sum. You're not taking any risks. You're following the herd. And In that process, you lose your own identity. That is the exact opposite of the conversation we've been having with the five questions. That's the exact opposite of differentiation. Yeah. Correct. (laughs) That is the exact opposite. And so so what I'd like to leave the audience with is what I call the abundance mindset. I mean, it's a term you can search online, but I have my own formula for abundance mindset. And this is what I share with my team and I'd like to share with the audience. First one is innovation. When everybody is going in herd mentality, you start to do things different. Think about the restaurant Prime in Redmond. Reducing your menu, only eight items, selling wine, come and pick up. It'll be just as good as it tasted when you come into the restaurant. You're innovating at a time of constraints. And by default, you've now differentiated yourself, different from all the herd. Second, Take risks, but take calculated risks based on the five, the answers to the five questions, right? So the restaurant that I told you about, and I hope he doesn't, you know, call me up and be like, Vivek, you're giving away all my secrets. But you know what? If success is abundance, there, it needs, man, abundance. abundance, it needs to be shared. <laughs> but what he did was he was in the process of opening a second restaurant that was going to be more of a pizza place. He closed it. He basically shut it down during COVID and said, no. I'm going to double down on the answers to the five questions on my ideal customers. I'm going to double down on the experience. I'm going to double down on being unique. And so instead of diluting his resources, he concentrated it. So he 
it's not like he stopped spending. He just redirected the spending. And so what you see in an abundance mindset is calculated, calculated risk taking with focused investments and focused divesting. So you stop doing things that are not core to your strategy, but it doesn't mean you stop spending or being or taking risks. Yeah, or playing Correct. offense essentially. You're playing exactly. offense. Exactly. You're playing offense with exactly what you know is going to make you win. I love that. Which is different in a boom time because in the boom time, you've got enough abundance of cash flow, low credit, you know, I mean, high credit floating around because of low interest rates. So you can afford to even take somewhat miscalculated risks. It is not going to put you out of business. But in a wartime strategy, you have to take calculated risks and very targeted spending. And then the last one, which ties directly to question number one that we started with, abundance mindset comes from a very clear identity of who you are and who your organization is. It is purpose-driven. It's collaborative. Because if I have to focus in on what I am good at, I can't do other things that I'm maybe not as good at, which means I should rely on you to supplement that for me. And which means we start to form a community of people who all see alike and are purpose-driven. And instead of being isolated and zero-sum, you now expand the pie because you your customers are probably the same customers who see the same value proposition. And now they're saying, oh, Vivek does X really well and Pablo does Y really well. I want X and Y. That team is who I'm going to hire. They won't spend less. They will actually spend more for the right team. I don't know if you did this on purpose of sprinkling in community here at the end, but as you can tell, my eyes lit up, right? Because I, I, you know, if I was to reverse engineer everything that you're saying into everything I believe, because I, th- I think it fits lock and key, is this idea of, you know, really truly understanding your unique value and the people around you's unique value and putting it together in a way that is abundant, right? Like that is that the sum of the parts is great, that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yes. And we do it by focusing on, you know, content engagements, right? Like the interactions with people and getting the feedback so that you know who it is that you're dealing with. So you can answer those first two questions are absolutely crucial. And you can't do that without engaging with folks, right? So like, if you're engaging with folks, then you're getting the answer to the questions. And just as importantly, you're understanding where they fit into the ecosystem that you are creating, so that you yourself can stay in your lane and rely on the ecosystem around you, the community around you That's right. in order to deliver in such a way. I love it, man. I think it's great. That's right. That's exactly right. And so I I, I, I think with a strategy, you can continue, continue to have an abundance mindset, yeah. which then allows you to grow. And I would not be saying this if I didn't use it myself. We did this during the pandemic. One of the things we do is crisis management at Covey Group. And when the pandemic hit and there were lockdowns, we got calls. I was getting calls every other week from clients, potential clients who were calling saying, hey, we heard about you. Can you come help us with our plan? And we had a choice. We were at a crossroad. Do we triple in size by taking on all this new client work or do we direct all of our resources back to our clients who have trusted us and invested in us up to the point of the pandemic. And we chose to actually scale down and focus only on the handful of clients and give them 100%. You should see our growth curve coming out of the pandemic because they rewarded us with that precision. Right? So, So we actually did exactly what I'm telling you about, calculated risk taking, focused investing, focused divesting. You know, we separated from the herd. We weren't chasing dollars. We were chasing experience, right? And as a result, our clients are like, wow. And we got more referrals coming out of the pandemic because of that. So it really worked for us. And hopefully this works for your for your audience that's listening today. Oh, man. Yeah. I love it, man. All right. So you said a couple of things I want to key in on right now in the last five minutes. I also want to tell the community that's here 
at exactly 5.30. Ryan is going to invite you to be a panelist, and we're just going to have an open discussion that we call Relationship-Driven Growth Strategy Sessions. I've got a couple of things to share. We like to kind of solve problems for people. V, you know you're invited, but if you got to go, yeah. you got to go. No, no, you I'll be here. When you're leaving. All right, you're yeah, sticking yeah. around. I'll be it. here. Cool, man. So any kind of Q&A, throw it in there because at 5.30, it becomes 100% collaborative. I got two questions. The first question is, once you have this strategy figured out, do you then put this into some kind of report? Do you create a slide deck around this, right? Like, how do you, once you, like, what is the, what is the container that the strategy is supposed to live in? So, yeah, we have it in a PowerPoint and actually any new Covey Group employee goes through onboarding. This is the first thing they see, which is the Covey Group strategy, who we are, what we believe in. It's also in our handbook. So actually, very different from almost any company I've ever worked with. If you're a potential candidate at Covey Group, before you even interview with us, we send you our handbook and we ask you to read it. Because if you read that handbook and you say, wow, these guys are a bunch of hippies, I don't want to work with, then don't waste your time. Don't go through the interview process. But the moment you read that handbook, you know exactly who we are. Now you have a choice, eyes wide open. So we do things, and this goes to the capability and the system questions that I talked about. We have a certain way of recruiting because we want a certain type of person at the Covey Group. So we've configured our entire interviewing system to match that capability, to enable that capability. And, and so that's what we do, right? It's, it's very different, but I capture it in a presentation in our handbook, and we reinforce it because we talk about it at our company meetings. We'll pick portions of it that we have discussions around. We use it in our annual review process, which is also very unique. Unlike any other company that I've ever worked with, we don't do rating system and I don't review the employees in their annual review meeting. They actually present to me a review of themselves. So they put together a presentation in whichever format they want. And they get to tout what they did that year. It's them talking about their accomplishments, not me talking about where they could have improved and where they weren't good. It's the other way around. So that's another capability that ties directly to morale. And so our system of annual review has to match that. So we've We've embedded this in different places of how we do work at Covey Group. And, and so everything that I'm sharing with the audience is in practice right now. It is, I, we do it every day. Awesome. Ryan, start letting people up as panelists. You know what I love about that, V, is two things. One, I'm a huge believer in eating your own dog food. Like if you are not winning based on the, like as a consultant, as a, you know, like in, in this like service world, I don't believe in the cobbler's son having no shoes. Right? Mm -hmm. Like if you can't provide for your people and win based on your own strategies, I'm not sure I want to do business with you. And I love when I Correct. see other businesses that are fully committed to that strategy. And the other thing that I, that I selfishly love is this handbook idea. You know, we explore this a lot in how you can use content. You know, to me, that's, that is tactical use of content. Right. Like if you are, if you create pieces of content about what you believe in and who you are and what your strategy is, you can, we call it set the table with content, right? This is a little preview of, of the show that I'm doing next week of how we monetize our content. But if you can give people something that represents you fully and allow them to learn it before they meet with you, before they actually start interacting with you, then you've already positioned them to either love you or hate you. And you're not going to know ahead of time. So if they take the meeting, you're already in on like a, you're already like at the, you're not just at the doorstep. You're already like at the kitchen table talking to somebody because yep. they've spent the time really understanding you. And I love systematization, systematization of things like that. Right. I do that with, like you saw my Calendly invite. I, I ask everybody to listen to my like 10 minute origin story where I rap and talk about why I started the company before they take a meeting with me. Cause it sets people up as like, Oh, this guy's cool. And I buy into his, as you said, hippy dippy stuff or not. Right. And it, and it creates a very, very different type of meeting, really good little nuggets there at the end. V before we go into just completely open source here, I would love for you to, I know that coffee group is a, I would love to, for you to tell me 
the origin of the name Covey Group because I know you're proud of it and who you work with and how to work with you because I know that you are transitioning from not just working with Fortune 200 companies. You're starting to work with regular entrepreneurs like me and the other people on this call. Yeah. So Covey Group comes from a Sanskrit word in contemporary Hindi. It means a poet. But if you go back to Sanskrit and the origins of the word, it actually means oracle or wise person. The Kavis were the guides to the kings and queens of ancient times, and their job was to be the holder of knowledge and help the kings and queens navigate uncertainty. That's where the origin of the word Kavi comes from. And so when we started the Kavi group, that's exactly what we thought. We're like, hey, wait a minute, that's what we do. That's our job. And so if you go to the Covey Group website, that's our tagline. Navigating change can be perilous. Let us be your guide. If you go to my LinkedIn page, you'll see it right there on my banner. It's there for a reason. And actually, it ties directly to strategy. Once I tell our clients this story, they never forget because it's connected. It's, it connects guide, uncertainty, Covey all in one, and it's an image that you want to leave. So yeah, that's where the name comes from, and it ties to our mission. You know, it was one of those moments where I'm like, I'm very proud of. I was like, wow, you know, I don't have those very often, but that was one of those moments that I'm actually proud of. I love it. Yeah. How do people work with you, man? How do they get in touch with you? How do you yeah, want just to connect with you? Who do you want to link? With? Li- LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn. You know, I one of our missions, and I, when I spoke with Pablo about this, I mentioned to him, if you look at our mission, it doesn't talk about the size of the company or who they are or what industry they're in. It's the individual that we're speaking to. If you meet that description of leader, someone who is looking to make positive and sustainable change, and you need help, you need guidance, you need a partner who can help you navigate, then that's us. And it starts with me. So reach out on LinkedIn, send me a note, and I'm very quick to respond. We'll set up time, we'll chat, we'll see how I can help you or anyone on my team. And and then we go from there. Love it, man. I love that. So I encourage everybody, we're going to link V's LinkedIn in the show notes. If you're listening on a podcast, if you are listening on a podcast, what are you doing, man? Join us live one of these days. So, uh, but happy to have you here too. Uh, so go connect with V. V, I just got to say, man, it is, um, I joked around about this like data point of people coming from these other states with these other industries coming to Jacksonville and how much of a privilege it is. But I I, I really mean it, right? Like I, the, the, um, the idea that a guy like yourself with a resume like yours and these really advanced beliefs that are proven in big industry being accessible to regular entrepreneurs like myself and and the rest of our community and and at, you know at, at this level is something i really don't take for granted and i just love everything that you stand for man so i just really appreciate you taking time to be here doing this uh staying around for as long as you're going to stay around for the ama and uh thanks man i really look forward to uh the future of our friendship here in jacksonville man thanks for doing yeah this. thank you thank you i love it here Well, there you go. A show so good, we had to do it twice. Vivek is officially invited back on the show. He's coming on uh, next week, which will be December 19th at 4.30 Eastern. We're going to do another internet talk show with him to talk about how to set your team up to thrive during uncertain times um, so that you can go into 2023 setting your people up for success, putting them in the right seat of the bus is how Jim Collins likes to likes to put it, right? So go to tinyurl.com slash B2BCB season five and uh, register for the show. I'd love to see you there and have you part of the conversation during the internet talk show. And uh, as you know, if you listen to this, I, I got to start, I got to start thanking my team right now. And I always start with Rowan, who's my account manager, and I just can't live without. She makes sure that everything that I need to be do be doing is is being done and coordinating everything. I just really, really appreciate all the hard work she puts in. JP, who was employee number one, he is our creative director. He's the guy that picks the music, picks the clips, does all the cool stuff to make sure that I and our clients show up online. Gina, who is our chief heart officer, she built our culture, she built our team. Eternally grateful for her presence in this company. She is she is the beating heart of it. And uh, Marge, 
is her heart. So got to thank Marge, who we would not be able to count on Gina weren't for Marge. And then our other two account managers, Joanna and Joyce, who take care of our other clients. Um, some of the brightest, best uh, people that I know. We got Nicola, our writer, who has been with us for a long time. And uh, he's just grown so much. All the stuff that you that you see being written is being done by him. And it's incredible that he's a 17-year-old Bulgarian young man. And I've seen him grow so much. And uh, Rita, who's our content strategist. And uh, an amazing, amazing new addition to our team this year. And she is driving the strategy for our clients and being my sounding board for all things creative. And finally, Philippe, our newest graphic designer and editor who has really, really impressed us from the moment that he's gotten us. I just really, really want to thank our team. Again, could not have done 200 episodes and everything else that we've done without them. And for you, I just want you to always remember that relationships will always beat transactions. See you on the next one.